And um, we, we did take a few moments last Sunday morning. It was scattered Sunday, so many of you were out and about in your communities. Can I uh, just give a word to you? Um, we, over these past months now, since uh, last September, have been um, enjoying um, exploring, experimenting with what it is to be a church that is both gathered um, most Sundays each uh, month, but scattered one Sunday morning a month to be part of transformed communities, um, which are extended families of missionary servants um, seeking uh, what God is already doing. Does anybody believe that the Holy Spirit of God is active in this world? Amen. Does anybody believe that? Okay, um, it's real encouragement to you if you do believe that and then allow your heart to become a little perceptive to what he's doing. Our transformed communities are simply seeking to see what the Spirit of God is doing and then partnering with him. Okay, that's simple, isn't it really? And, and I would urge you, as any kind of believer, um, if, if you're following Jesus, see what the Spirit of God is doing and then partner with him. Okay. So when we have these scattered Sundays, I know there's something of a temptation to say, oh, well, Pastor Greg has said we're supposed to be out on mission and, um, and, and my mission is to fix my garden or, or whatever it might be. Um, don't, don't, don't give in to such temptations. Um, can I urge you in this? Be a part of a transformed community and get about the business of God. Okay, it's the family business and you as dearly beloved children can join in the family business. And so if you're not yet part of a transformed community, I know some of you still gather here on those Sundays and that's good. Um, inquire as to what it is uh, and seek with me, would you? Uh, and with Ron, who um, I, I was going to look over there for Ron. He's not there. You are not, Ronald. Uh, there he is, who is com coordinating our transformed communities. Um, inquire of us how you can be a part of that. Um, it's such a blessing to hear some of you who do inquire about these things and get about the mission of God. Um, that said, last Sunday morning, um, we shared a little bit about what a gateway summer might look like. Um, if you haven't heard that word, um, you can get it via the podcasts that we make available. Um, go to iTunes or you know however you get to, to podcast via um, uh, the church website and so on and you can hear these words um, and we were kind of inspiring us to set our minds on things above it's a word from Colossians chapter 1 uh, and I would urge you um, this Sunday um, schools have broken up largely or they're about to um, you may not see so many of your brothers and sisters in Christ from, from next Sunday onwards some of you will be out and about and here there and everywhere travelling the far reaches of the earth God bless you as you go and uh, bring the sun back would you do that um, please some of you are going to go places where the sun has been hiding and uh, would you tell it to come back to the UK um, at least just once before the summer is over um, but we talked a little bit about this we did mention um, enrich your minds and your hearts and your souls with reading this morning we're going to be embarking upon um, a study series in the book of Isaiah, chapters 56 through to 66, the closing of the book. I encourage you, make that some of your summer reading. Just 10 chapters, rich, densely packed with truth that we're going to be unpacking week by week. But we did say, and last Sunday evening we began this, we give away some books. Last Sunday evening we gave away 10 books that were getting us to think about eternity. In the evenings as we gather, we're talking about the truth that Jesus is coming soon. Amen. That was a great place for an amen. 
charisma. If not an amen, a hallelujah. I joked last Sunday that in our house we have a few extra praise words because uh, Judah has combined the word hallelujah with the word aluminium and has come up with the word halaminia. And um, so if you want to throw that into the mix, God will understand. And we also are not yet sure in our house whether avocado is a praise word or not as well. Uh, because avocado will not just be said about the contents of the fridge, but in this kind of fashion, avocado. And, um, and so we we're unsure. Is it a praise word? Is it not? We don't know. But we want to praise God. Um, that was a good place to say avocado. Um, <laughs> Praise God, because he is coming soon. And so we gave away these 10 books. This morning, I've got 10 more books. They're called Serving Without Sinking, How to Serve Christ and Keep Your Joy. And it's a, it's a fantastic little read, and it will be a real blessing to some of you who are eager to serve God, but perhaps you've been struggling or striving in this season, and you need to know the grace of God. I've got 10 of them for 10 people who come and see me at the end, and, uh, and give me a handshake or a hug, um, and cheer me, um, because pastor needs cheering in his spirit from time to time. Uh, avocado. Hallelujah. Um, so... Um, 10 books enrich your summer with the things of God would you do that um, that's all to say that really um, we will have other books that we give away through the summer I'm not going to tell you when <gasps> you're just going to have to come and be here and, um, and, and do such things this morning I'm going to be embarking into our, this is our fifth and final summer in the book of Isaiah um, I thought a few of you might be like oh no yeah just, you're like thank goodness huh? no 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 it's a big book, and we've spent five summers digging into its riches, um, and we're going to, this morning, um, start into, I think we've got six weeks um, in the mornings of digging into its riches. There's one uh, big thing along the way through the summer to highlight before you, and that is that next Sunday, things are going to look a little different. We will gather in the morning, but we won't gather here in the evening, because we're going to be in a field um, and um, <laughs> some of you are excited just about a field. I love you people. You're fantastic. Uh, it's at the field. It's at the bottom of Lever Causeway, um, right next to Abel and Grace's house. So if you want to know where that is, you can ask them. And what we're gonna what we're gonna be doing in the field is we're gonna be having some fun. We're gonna have some music. We're gonna have some fun and games that are being organised. Um, we will set up a couple of tents, most likely because of the great British weather. Um, there will be a hog roast and some other food options as well. And come along feast together have some fun together bring some camp chairs some picnic blankets um, come along and, and have some fun together get to know one another in the evening as, as, the, as the, the night draws in uh, we're going to perhaps we're not going to have a bonfire because the field in question is used for growing hay and we don't want to set all of Stoughton alight um, but we are going to perhaps have a couple of enclosed kind of fire pits and we'll gather around them roast some marshmallows worship God with an acoustic guitar or two I still haven't asked I need to ask Tino or oh yeah are you, are you in with this are you okay Adam maybe I know he's good with an acoustic guitar and yeah all right super and uh, and some nice people who can sing as well and uh, and we're all gonna gather together and worship God as the evening draws in it's gonna be a great night it's going to be a lot of fun. So come from about four o'clock, fun and games, picnic together. The food's going to be ready about 6 p.m. 
Um, we, we might organise some ice cream afterwards. We're not quite sure on that yet. Uh, I thought that would get an avocado, but there you go. Um, I know many of you, you have replied your RSVPs. You're my favourites. Um, if you... Um, if you've not yet replied, please do so. And, uh, and th- like we said, this is open to your friends and your families. So invite them along just to come eat some pig with you and, uh, and, and have a bit of fun. It'll be a lovely day. So, great. Don't forget that. Fantastic. Into the Word of God. Um, chapters 56 through to um, 66 of Isaiah finishes off this really big book. Um, that's why we've taken five years <laughs> um, to, to kind of study it together because we want to do it justice over these summers. Um, and, you know, at first glance, you know, we look at these kinds of ancient scriptures and some of the, the context and the culture, even some of the language seems a, a little bit difficult to get our heads around from time to time. The world, politically, geographically, many other ways, it might seem different. The ways and in fact the, the, the will and the, the word of God it's unchanging does anybody know that to be true yeah God doesn't change that's your first bit of good news well the first bit of good news was hog roast but this is better good news God doesn't change and, and as we know each year in actual fact the ways of humanity are often sadly unchanging as well but in the light of the unchanging nature of God and his grace to us, we can change and we can grow. We can grow into the likeness of God and we can, we can bless those around us with this truth. And, and here's what we find every time we open up these passages of scripture that we might not well understand or we might not look at often. But here is the truth, 2 Timothy 3.16, all, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness the breathing of God is a very profound and a powerful thing isn't it you know right from that right from that first moment that God formed man from the earth and breathed life into him yeah well we've got Jesus with his disciples he gathers them in close and breathes on them and says receive the Holy Spirit the breathing of God is not something to be taken lightly. So if we're told that this, this scripture in Isaiah, because it's part of all scripture, if it's breathed by God, it's of that level of, of profoundness. Let's listen to the word of God. Who was Isaiah? Just for a moment. I know year by year we've kind of considered this, but we'll just recap just for a second. Who was Isaiah? We don't know a a massive amount about the man, the prophet, except to know that he ministered um, around 742 to 701 BC under four different kings, beginning as the book itself begins um, with the description uh, that uh, that it was in the year that good king Uzziah died. That's in Isaiah chapter 6. He sees this vision and everything starts to unfold. The calling of God on his life and the commissioning of God into the people of God. It was a similar period, if you want a bit of a biblical context, to the prophets Hosea and Micah. And there were two major kind of national, even kind of global events that were climaxing in in the ministry of Isaiah. One is in 732, the Syro-Ephraimite crisis under the rule of Ahaz. Israel, the northern kingdom, had allied itself with Syria 
and Ahaz the king had turned uh, to Assyria in his alliance instead of to God. Uh, the obvious teaching that we've looked at before is that the things of this world are, are not substantial for us to ally ourselves to. That nothing in this world, as powerful as it may seem, can substitute for a deep connectedness and a trust upon God. And then secondly, um, in the time and the ministry of Isaiah, we have the invasion then of Judah by Sennacherib of Babylon in 701 BC. Now that comes under the rule of Hezekiah. Changes in world powers were happening. You know, when all of these things change, do you remember there's one thing that doesn't change? Anybody want to hazard a guess? God doesn't change, but everything else changes. And there's the failures of old alliances. In fact, this is pretty devastating times. 46 cities were besieged or destroyed in this time. This is significant. Can you imagine the 46 most significant cities in the UK being destroyed? By that nature, 46. I don't know whether that would even include Birkenhead. I don't know. Uh, it's quite a lot of cities, isn't it? But Don't you dare. Um, but Liverpool would be gone, that's for certain. And Chester, besieged and or destroyed. This is significant. The land was laid waste. You can look at Isaiah 1.7. And then finally, Hezekiah turns again to God. The name of Isaiah which chimes with his prophecies, means that the Lord is salvation. This is kind of a common refrain in the Bible. Loads and loads of people's names point to the truth that God is the only saviour um, because we need reminding of that. Um, that doubtless amongst the crowd of us like this this morning, some of us will have sought our salvation elsewhere this week. We'll just have done it. We'll have sought salvation in our own wisdom or our own strength or our own capacity or our own resource or in relationship with one or another or another. And we read these things about Israel and Judah and we think, oh, aren't they daft? But we are them. <laughs> We're not the hero. God is the hero. And we need to be reminded that he is our only salvation. And he was married, Isaiah, two of his kids, named in chapters 7 and 8. By tradition, he was born into an aristocratic family and was well-educated. And tradition also indicates that he was martyred, um, grisly I know, but by being sawn in two in the reign of an evil king, Manasseh. Um, you know, we focus on the good things, don't we, not the bad things. Aristocratic, well-educated, oh, I don't mind a bit of that. Sawn in two? Hmm. Um, oftentimes, you know, in fact, all the times when people uh, take on um, the mantle of God to bring his word to um, his people, um, there is suffering or struggle. Right. Well, let's open the Bible. Um, Isaiah 58 is where we're going to find ourselves today. As we worshipped, we read from verse 5. I just want to add in the preceding verses of the chapter for us. If you've not got a Bible with you, pick one up from under the chairs. Read the word of God for yourself, okay? Don't just let it kind of wash around and about you. Or grab your phone or your tablet or however it is you're accessing the word of God today. And let's read along together. Um, Isaiah 58 begins like this. Cry aloud, 
Do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. And here we have the voice of the people. Why have we fasted, verse 3, and you see it not? They're talking to God, as it were. Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, this is God speaking, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. And then again, as we read from verse 5, is such the fast that I choose, all that's been just described, a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Here comes the contrast. Is not this the fast that I choose? to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. And it continues as we have read. I want to remind us as we begin this, uh, this morning, the word God spoke through his prophet Isaiah, though it was spoken in times of great upheaval and trouble, even times of horror, Though they were words spoken to people who were as likely as not to dismiss them or to twist them or to do the exact opposite of them, though they were words also which were spoken in the age Isaiah lived, yet they would only find their ultimate fulfillment many years later. Through all of this, the word of God here found is a word which grants us great hope. If you are hopeless... Turn to the word of God. If you're hopeless, the word of God is full of your hope. Now, oftentimes the word of God will come to us and it will come to us oftentimes with our own shortcomings. A blunt and and clear assessment of the circumstances we find ourselves in. All too often, we in our own sense of self, sometimes with our own pride, also with our woundedness, will turn away. Don't do so. Would you allow the word of God to speak to you as God sees fit? Because if you will, you will find true hope. We were prompted right at the beginning of the book of Isaiah, if you can cast your mind back that far, prompted at the beginning of the book to believe that a city, chapter 1, verse 21, a city that that should have been faithful but had become faithless. The Bible doesn't mince its words, Jerusalem the harlot. This is the imagery that that is used over and over again. It's always relational imagery that's used, imagery of giving of oneself inappropriately rather than in the love relationship of God with his people. This is the imagery that's used. That kind of faithlessness, God promises by the time you move on to verse 26 of chapter 1, will again come to a place of faithfulness. That God will renew faithfulness in his city amongst his people. 
And now, looking at these chapters that we've read, and you know, I would urge you, look for yourself at chapters 56 and 57. We'll, we'll glance at them briefly. Into 58, you know, we start to see, again, some of the struggles in bringing these things to fruition. But God says, those who are faithless will become faithful. Not only that, but he says it won't just become a faithful city, it will be a transformed city. And in chapter 66 at the end of the book, we find that God will bring all their brothers from all the nations to the holy mountain to worship God. You could look at verses 20 and 23 to see how God is going to do an incredible work. Right from chapter one of the book, all the way through to chapter 66 of the book, God is saying, I know how things are. I know how bad things have gotten. I know how wretchedly faithless my people can be. I know all of these things, and yet it doesn't change the nature of my promise. Because my nature doesn't change. It doesn't change the nature of my will for my people. Nor does it change my ability to bring that will to its fruition. So, how do we get from there to here? How is everything going to be renewed? How is the devotion of the people of God going to be renewed? How is God going to accomplish his sovereign will and to do so in and with us his people the people that we see represented in this time how will all of this be when we so easily are distracted by the wickedness around when the people in these chapters were so easily distracted by the wickedness around them when they were in fact all too often waylaid by the wickedness and invested in the wickedness, when we are all too often waylaid by the wickedness of our world, even sometimes invested in it. This is the big question that we're to wrestle with. This summer series is entitled The Sovereign Conqueror, which sounds fantastic. And we're going to meet him, you know, in a couple of weeks. He's right at the heart of these few chapters. And of course, we recognize that God is sovereign in all things. He is the one who accomplishes everything. He is still in control. He's not abandoned us, not abandoned our world. He has his purposes. He will bring them to fruition. Does that mean that we then are called just to kind of sit back and twiddle our thumbs? I don't think that's the image that we're going to see. However... There is a great deal of waiting in the book of Isaiah. But waiting in the Bible is not twiddling your thumbs. Waiting in the Bible is not getting your phone out and playing a game or just browsing social media or whatever. That's not the kind of waiting that we see in the Bible. Waiting is eager expectation. It's faithful obedience. That's what waiting means in the Bible. Over and over again, the book of Isaiah points us to remnants that God gathers because they are faithful and he'll preserve their faithfulness and their faithfulness will see its fruit. And over and over again, we find that the testing of faith 
is a constant for those remnants. And that in this testing, repentance and renewal are the essential marks of those who will see God's word come to pass. Does anybody like a bargain? Anyone like a bargain? Yeah. I really like a bargain. Yeah. I always found it quite instructive that a bargain is only really a bargain if you needed it in the first place. Is that a word of God for anybody this, this morning? You know, it's not just a bargain because it seems crazy cheap. Kind of had to need it in the first place and then it's cheap. A few people are feeling a bit of conviction there. May or may not be the Holy Spirit, I don't know. Um, there are loads of different contexts for bargains and bargaining, aren't there? And uh, we all like to think if we ever like to go and buy something, especially like a big ticket something, like maybe a car or something, that we can all drive a hard bargain, don't we? It's that opportunity to kind of prove yourself. Uh, I, think, I, I don't think there's anyone here who sells cars, but um, if there were, I'm sure they would tell us, yeah, we saw you coming. Um, and you get that sense, don't you? You kind of go in and you feel like you drive a hard bargain and you get all the things that you want and afterwards you just have this nagging feeling. I think they would have given all that anyway and they just saw me coming and, and I just... Some of you out there, you're looking at me like, no, no, I'm good at this. Uh, it's all right, tell yourself that, it's fine. Um, I, I do remember uh, on one occasion uh, being um, in a marketplace in Southeast Asia, and I thought I'd buy myself a couple of uh, T-shirts um, to remember my time there. And of course, in that kind of context, we kind of white Westerners, we have no cultural kind of background for this, so we're kind of rubbish at that kind of bargaining. Um, and so we kind of go in, and then we, we kind of, it's a bit all or nothing really uh, and I found myself trying to drive this really hard bargain until I realised when I did the sums in my head he was already giving me the two t-shirts for three quid and then I thought why on earth are you bargaining Greg you evil evil man and, um, and, and in truth I was in that moment why was I trying to drive a harder bargain than two t-shirts for three quid you catch yourself in these moments don't you uh, there's something in our nature that kind of wants to try and maximize the benefit to ourselves not long ago Judah wasn't well and so I, I was able to do some work from home and keep him at home from nursery and, um, and we were at home and we were just kind of spending the day together it's one of those days where he's getting a bit stir crazy and all the work that I thought I could do from home hasn't quite gone quite how I imagined it would but um, he kind of after his nap you know we had a couple of options of things that we could do uh, and one was that we could um, go and play in the back garden uh, and the other option was that we could go for a walk and so I held up my two fingers like this I said we can go play in the back garden or we can go for a walk and so I had my two fingers held up to which my little lad came over to me extended a third finger and said or we could watch Paw Patrol <laughs> and uh It'll come as no surprise to you that that third finger went down pretty quick. Um, but that was his bargaining. And it was in him already. And he's a quality bargainer before you, before you know it. Um, I don't know, maybe some of you, you find yourself in the workplace and you're aware that your annual review is coming around and all of a sudden your productivity shoots through the roof. Uh, no, you wouldn't be like that, would you? But you know people like that in the workplace, don't you? None, none of you. Uh, but you know people like that. And, you know, we, we want to kind of 
trying to set ourselves up and bargain and get ourselves to the best possible place. We've got potentially a new prime minister coming into this country and, uh, and they're convinced they're going to get a better bargain out of the Europeans for the, uh, the Brexit thing. Should we not talk any more about that? No, let's move on. Um, uh, let's, let's not talk anything about that because everything changes. God remains the same. There's something within us though and we think that we can kind of swing the circumstances that we can bargain and negotiate and that though nobody else might be able to kind of get whatever we, we're the ones who can and this is the contrast that we find in chapter 58 verses 1 to, to 5 roughly and then verses 6 onwards in those first five verses we, we hear an echo again of chapter 1 you can look at it for yourself verses 10 to 20 we find right at the beginning of of the word there and here again that the people are trying to bargain with God they're not honoring him and serving him and worshipping him because they love him and their love is compelling them into the things of God no they're doing so as a bargaining chip There's an external observance of religious norms, but there's no heart devotion. There's no soul connection. There's an almost cynical religious practice, thinking that God will be mollified or fobbed off by people throwing him the bone of attendance or offering. And then follows that, the sheer arrogance of being offended when God doesn't seem to come through with his part of such a bargain. Things come to a head in verse 3 of what we read when the the equation of, oh, if I just do a fast and show an outward sign of humility, it doesn't equal the answer from God that the people were expecting. What self-centeredness? When what is really needed is a total renewal of the self by his mighty working this is a consistent refrain of the scriptures Psalm 66 and verse 18 makes plain the problem when it says if I had cherished iniquity in my heart the Lord would not have listened Uh, and we hear the word come to us how do we respond You know, we might say, well, isn't that just some sort of Old Testament legalism? Isn't that just kind of having to do this and do that and do the other in order to somehow uh, allow for the atoning grace of God to cover for a season? Well, not so. In the New Testament, we're we're exhorted, invited to to examine ourselves. Examine ourselves. Surely we'll come around the table of communion and that prompts within us, within the believers who are under the blood, under the grace of God, to examine ourselves. And to actually consider what is our standing before God. Yes, under Jesus. But then how is that affecting our lives? How is that prompting lives of devotion within us? Is it doing that? The Bible says if we cherish iniquity, God doesn't listen. It's the truth of our relationship with God that unreported, unrepented for sin makes prayer inaudible to God. 
It's the plain intent of what we read in the scriptures. And yet, if we would only allow God to work sincerity in our hearts and sincerity to flow into our practice, we would find incredible blessing would follow. More on that later. Look, this disconnect between the outward appearance of religiosity and the inward character of God, the devotion of the heart, this disconnect, it wasn't one that was just amongst Old Testament Jews. There's a gentleman uh, of the people of Jesus, James, who wrote a letter to first century Christians and he was wanting to affirm the same point and his writing is much needed for us today. If you were to turn to James and chapter 1, you would find these words from verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and keep oneself unstained from the world. That's clear application of what our religious devotion to God should affect within our lives. The keeping of oneself unstained from the world. The examples given to the visiting of orphans and widows, those in their distress. We saw as we considered the movie Instant Family just a couple of weeks ago, God's heart for those who are orphaned or fatherless. You might want to hear that word of God again. But the truth of the matter is that an understanding of the heart of God and the call of God must lead to the actions that are connected. Is our faith smoke and mirrors? Is it just the, the doings of certain things? Attendances here and there, the occasional giving of this or that in order to somehow create an impression a sense of devotion or is our activity is our action born out of a, a yearning for God and a desire for his kingdom to come and his will to be done in this earth as it is in heaven the Bible invites us to recognize that it is Christ's love that can should will compel us this is the moving and motivating factor of our lives 
I want to ask you, have you meditated upon the love of Christ this week? Have you meditated upon his grace to you? His grace to you. That he gives you what you could not possibly earn, the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. He gives you right standing before the Father now and in eternity. This is incredible grace. Have you meditated upon his mercy? That by rights we in our wickedness, our wickedness meaning all of the times and all of the ways that we separate ourselves from the person and the will of God. We in our wickedness were by nature objects of wrath and destined for destruction. But God chose not to wipe you and I from the face of the earth. But he chose to lay our iniquity upon Jesus. That he might receive upon his shoulders all of that wrath. Have you considered and meditated upon the mercy of God to you? And when we consider the mercy and the grace and the love of Christ Jesus to us, then the compulsion, this compelling work of the Spirit of God in our lives is what flows naturally. When you do not consider these things, when you do not meditate upon the grace of God in your life, then all too often we fall back upon shows of religious activity. We know that we ought to, and so we try our best. We know that it's expected, so we build up the wall. We know that we are inadequate, so we fill our time with activity. We try to achieve, to mask our inadequacy. Don't let it be so. Here's the grace of God. We are not enough. And we never will be. But he is always enough. And his grace is sufficient for you. By his sovereign will he has chosen to make perfect his strength in your weakness. Stop trying to be strong. Your weakness is the very thing that invites the strength of grace of God. Why would you do away with it? For your own half strength. How ridiculous would we be? If we build up a life of activity, busyness, so that we don't have to listen to the voice within that says, when was the last time that you really knew the love of your father? If we build up such a life, then it would come as no surprise that we would end up in a place really of bitterness, even of anger, of arrogance. We hear the people of Israel back in that day saying, God, but I fasted. Why haven't you done this? And we hear it and we think, well, that's presumptuous. That's arrogant. How could they? How could they? Because they allowed bitterness to take root in their spirit. Because they didn't rightly submit themselves to the will of the God who loved them. They didn't spend their time focusing and meditating upon that love. And allowing it to form them and to transform them. And from that bitterness came quickly the arrogance of presumption. It will be for us exactly the same. Don't say I'm a Christian, it can't happen to me. That's arrogance in itself. Humble yourself before the Lord. Because God gives grace to the humble. But he opposes the proud. 
we need to be people who look more like verse 6 and 7 loosing the bonds of wickedness undoing the straps of the yoke letting the oppressed go free and breaking every yoke sharing what we have with the hungry bringing the homeless poor into our homes covering those who are naked and not hiding ourselves from even our own more like that and less like sackcloth and ashes bowed heads showy kind of ways of demonstrating how wonderful we are Our culture doesn't have too much time for the slow steadiness of the faithfulness of giving, of service, of surrender. It's all about what's next, what's next, what's next. The next soundbite, the next post on social media, the next agenda, the next event, the next cause. God doesn't change. God doesn't change. And through those who will faithfully, eagerly expect, that is to wait, for those who will allow God to form the right attitudes within them as they wait and understand upon his grace and his love, God wants to do actually the miraculous and the wonderful in their world. You know, I, I know many of you here, you've got a kind of an activist personality. It's absolutely fantastic. And, and that's great. But what I, what I would suggest to you is, how are you submitting your desire for change into the world, change in the world to the waiting upon God for him to actually bring that into being? It's God who will cause these things to come about. And we see just a, a few glimpses of the ways in which God asks us to, to kind of demonstrate our, our true faith in chapter 58 as, as we've read. And if you were to uh, read then in chapter 56, you would see a couple of these instances are, are writ large. That they're kind of elaborated upon how God wants to bring salvation into his world through people who are genuinely devoted to him. If you, you know, the Bible says that God is, his eye is just roaming throughout the entirety of his earth, looking to strengthen the hearts of those who are fully committed to him. You know, you want to really bring about change in this world? Then commit yourself to God. He'll strengthen you so that you can see incredible things happening. I just want to take just a moment. I'm, I'm conscious time is marching by. But a moment to consider. There's two instances in chapter 56 of people that God wants to draw into his community, his world of faith. And they're quite surprising to the audience that Isaiah was speaking to. So I wonder if God wants to surprise us this morning with those that God wants to welcome into his family. Now firstly, in chapter 56, we find that God wants to bring salvation to the foreigner. Now, maybe this doesn't come as any kind of surprise in our church because... I think we're all foreigners, are we, you know? And, and that's just the nature of our church. There's not one of us that can say that we are not. The very grace of the fact that we have been joined one to another from all the nations of the earth makes us recognize actually our citizenship is of heaven. 
Uh, and we know that God is doing this wonder work in our lives. I've often joked that many churches are being prepared by God to enjoy the glories of heaven, but our church is being prepared a little bit more. And, uh, and you know, we're just blessed in this way. You're just one step ahead, thank God, and praise his holy name. Um, some of you are not, wonder- not knowing whether I'm joking or not. I am joking. Um, you're not better than other Christians. I just want to point that out. Um, but we are blessed. We are blessed to see this image of heaven just written out for us. But this was a revolution for the people of God. They knew full well that they were a chosen people and that actually God was going to do a very particular work through them. But in, in many ways, they'd lost track of the very promise that God gave to Abraham and all of his people who had followed that actually the work that he was going to do in them, he wanted to do through them that actually he was going to bless them as a nation so that they could be a blessing to the nations. And here's the outworking of it. God says to the foreigners, chapter 56 and verse 3, let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. No, in fact, verse 6, the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, verse 7, these I will bring to my holy mountain. God is bringing about this wonder work. He's gathering people to himself. Now, just a word of caution here. This is not the kind of universalism that you might hear preached by some who will say, oh, it doesn't really matter. In the end, God will just make it work somehow for everybody. No, God is very, very specific here. He says, those who join themselves to the Lord, who love the name of the Lord... So God is absolutely breaking down every human constructed barrier, every border, every kind of sense that we have when we see a different skin color or hear a different language or know people of different ethnicity or nationality. And somehow in our little minds, we think, oh, how can God do for them also? God says, the how is not your business. The truth of the matter is I will. And the Bible does prophesy and promise that that the earth will be filled, the whole earth. It will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. God has his intent and we see it in the book of Revelation. We've seen it through these uh, evenings and we'll see it some more. That there will be this vast crowd of every nation, tribe and tongue and they'll all be praising God. And you hear a little sign and a foretaste of that. But this is the work God is doing. It's not saying, come, you know, come and just don't worry about worshipping God. God will make it happen. No, no, no. God is saying to everybody, devote yourself to me and you are all welcome. We live in a world in which rampant nationalism, a kind of neo-tribalism, is seeking to exclude Uh, Please don't misunderstand me. This is not a political point. You could level this at pretty much every single party in every single country on the face of the earth, one way or another. But these kinds of some in, some out kinds of attitudes are on the rise. And I would urge you, if you are a follower of God, to fight them with your humility, with your devotion to God and your prayer. It's not to say that there aren't difficult and thorny political questions to be wrestled with within our world. But God's intent is to save those that you call foreigner. That's his intent. His intent is to save the other. 
that is his intent. And if God would do a work within their life such that they would call upon the name of the Lord, he will save them. And I wonder, are you allied with that in your spirit, in your action, in your speaking? God wants to welcome. How about us? In the welcome of God, having highlighted the foreigner, you know that there's such an incredible work that God is doing in this country. God is bringing people into this country so that they might be saved. Are you aware of how many Iranians are coming to the UK and receiving salvation in the name and through the blood of Jesus Christ? Are you aware of this? You must not permit within your spirit to allow for some kind of us and them attitude. You must not permit within your spirit a sense of entitlement. You must not permit within your spirit a sense of parochialism that seeks to exclude the other. Allow God to do a work within your heart whereby you might be the means of welcome. Not just into a a country or an area or a town, although that might be a part of the calling of God upon your life, but welcoming people into the kingdom of God. Who will you call foreigner when God calls them friend? Who will you call foreigner when God says, they are my dearly beloved. I've been drawing them to myself. And as they come to this place under the sound of the gospel, now they are mine. We must challenge ourselves in these things. And having brought into being this incredible work, God speaks also to the eunuchs. (laughs) Of all people, why is God focusing in upon these folks? The poor eunuch. Uh, You know, I think nowadays they're being co-opted for all this, that and the other. And I think, poor eunuchs, have they not got enough to deal with? Um, But now they're being co-opted by progressive movements as a flag bearer for sexual expression. Not so. In the Bible, a eunuch was one who by birth or more commonly by the imposition of another wasn't, um, delicately to put it, sexually whole. And they were done to so, making them more docile and trustworthy in the minds of some for certain tasks in the opinion of the rulers. Of the day, it was a very clear thing. Now, this movement, and again here, read it for yourself. It says, for the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, to choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. This is just staggeringly beautiful. Because these self-same people are the people who knew that in the initial um, ordering of the law of God, they weren't allowed entry into some of the earthly representations of the presence of God. But God is here talking about that ultimate inclusion into the family of God and everything that he wants to bless them with. Now, it means just this. You may hear people nowadays saying, oh, that means that any kind of sexual agenda expression is welcomed. There's no evidence for that in the Bible. 
There really is no way of saying that from what we've read here. I want to be really clear on that. It may not be something that you've heard or an argument that's been raised with you, but it probably will be at some point. The Bible is not saying that at all. In fact, Jesus talks about the nature of the the eunuch in Matthew chapter um, 18, I think it is. And he talks about those, um, some who were born that way, some who were made that way. And, And then he talks about those who have chosen the pathway, as it were a eunuch, the spiritually celibate for the sake of the kingdom. It's a very particular thing. But God is saying, be welcomed in. Be welcomed in. How much of our religious activity is welcoming the other? How much of it? How much of that is our focus? When we were preparing to come and gather as a church this morning, was that our focus? Or or did we think we would do our religious observance in the same way? God wants to challenge us. He wants to say, would you please just stop doing the same things in the same ways over and over and over again without giving it any thought? Better yet, give it some heart. Better yet, give it your all. And start to realize what it is that God actually wants from you and from me. There's a promised hope in these verses. But it's for those who really care to know the heart of God and to walk in his ways. Over and over again, God says, would you please keep my Sabbath? Know the heart of it. Chapter 56, verse 2, 4, 6. Chapter 58, verse 13. God is so specific. He says, come on, if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable. If you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. You know, we, we so quickly and easily make what is a holy day a holiday. We so readily just see our Sunday as a a day of leisure. It's a day of devotion. This is its primary purpose. I want to ask you, is your heart longing for him? And is everything that we do flowing from that? Or are we busying ourselves? so we don't have to ask the question. Sometimes we need a perspective shift. Kind of hear the call of God, his heart. And we think, oh, God, you know, you're just so demanding. 
Why is it that you're just so needy? Not so. Probably like me, this week you've heard a lot about the moon landings, yeah? 50th anniversary. And um, I didn't know, but apparently they, they took communion on the moon. Did you know that? Uh, Buzz Aldrin was an elder in his Presbyterian church. And, and his pastor had a special little silver chalice made for him. And he took a vacuum-sealed uh, communion wine and, and it tried to escape out of the chalice. <laughs> he took communion on the moon. But. Lots of those who have been to the moon or been into space, they would have that kind of perspective shift. And they, they would look up at the moon like we do from down here and we say, oh, it looks small. Just, you could blot it out with a thumb, couldn't you? It's tiny. But then they would go up into space and look back, or they'd be on the moon, those few who had gotten there, and they would look down, and all of a sudden they would see how small the earth was <laughs> and how fragile in the vast reaches of the universe. <sighs> that we would stop looking at God from the perspective of our own wisdom and start looking at ourselves from the perspective of God's wisdom. Would you stand with me?